starting a conference call with Brian Fenelai of Fox Sports and UCLA Athletics and Matt Zemak of USA Today to talk about the Pac-12. Welcome back to another episode of Let Me Tell You, number 91. We have two fantastic guests whose knowledge about the Pac-12 conference is second to none, and that is why I have invited them on the first ever Let Me Tell You roundtable discussion of the state of affairs in the Pac-12 conference. So in this episode, we have Matt Zemek, editor of USA Today's Trojan Wire and has covered college football since 2001. And obviously returning guest, Brian Finley, national anchor at Fox Sports Radio and works for UCLA, UCLA Athletics and Learfield Audio. So very exciting. Thank you for coming on, both of you. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having us, yeah. All right, so Matt, let's just jump right into it. How did we arrive at this point where Oklahoma and Texas decided or they felt the need to leave the Big 12? Uh, because ESPN and Disney uh, put a, a lot of cash before them and, and worked the, the back channels and wanted this to happen. I mean, uh, you know, ESPN wanted the Big 12 to stay intact a decade ago. They did not want Texas and Oklahoma to create a Pac-16. You know, the ESPN uh, intervened there. And, you know, the Longhorn Network, you know, it was a punchline. It was a joke, uh, you know, on a national level in terms of fans because people couldn't find it on their cable systems. And when uh, the Longhorn Network did air a Texas game, you know, it was against UTEP, you know, nobody cared. But the Longhorn Network served its purpose for ESPN because it was a leverage point in denying Larry Scott and the Pac-12 the chance to expand to 16, get that extra chunk of the marketplace. So the Longhorn Network kept the Big 12 intact and enabled ESPN to operate and manage the chessboard of college athletics and you know ESPN and knowing that you know it would get the SEC contract under that Disney umbrella it was the time to strike and move the Longhorns and Sooners over to Mickey Mouse away from Fox that you know that this is this is the grand game that ESPN continues to play I mean th that's the main driver of all this it's television it's cash it's streaming out being able to have inventory high-end inventory i mean you know oklahoma against georgia and texas against florida and you, know, you put all those schools together you're going to have a lot of inventory and you're going to dominate the college football marketplace so that's what this is pretty much all about it always comes down to the almighty dollar the almighty so, dollar and the almighty tv screen so brian i gotta ask you there's speculation about boise state joining the pac-12 kansas joined the pac-12 as a basketball school what is the point of a conference like do we still need them what's the allure of a conference the point of the conference i believe is representation to help with the revenue sharing and to boost the conference is to get really good teams in it so that you're able the big 10 when it comes to revenue and matt might know this number or but the the big 10 when it pays out its members they have the most money that they pay out per member in the millions of dollars every year. So it's visibility, it's money. And I feel like that's, that's what it stems from. But like you're seeing, it's everybody's moving all over the place right now. And I think we're just seeing a tidal wave that is just starting to form here. You think that, yeah, there's two teams that are going to the sec, but this is going to create mass chaos that will quickly ensue in the forthcoming time. If it helps with the revenue sharing, why then would the powerful schools like Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, schools that people will pay money to see, why don't they branch off away from the conference thing? Like schools like Washington State 
we need the Pac-12 because no one, I don't think they'll pay us the same as they would pay for USC or UCLA, but why do the powerful schools that have alumni backing millions of dollars in revenue for football, why do they stay in a conference? Why don't they form their own super conference? Well, I guess the SEC is almost that. Yeah, no, I think we're getting closer to that happening in the whole Super League thing. We've seen that that is something that is, has even been tested out or thought about in, in soccer in Europe when they shot it down a couple months ago. But we might be getting to that. You know, you think about it, when you're Notre Dame, you have a lot of power. You also have a lot of flexibility and a lot of independence on what you want to do. But again, I think you have to deal with it. I think Matt would know this too, is like, you've got these SEC network contract deals and stuff like that right now where you're making so much money off of it. I think right now it'd be impossible to break off from that considering that you're, you're making money off these television rights. Right. Yeah. I think the, the, I think the, the, the number I saw was it was roughly the cost to get out of the, the big 12 contract for to see if you wanted to expedite this quicker, it would cost Texas and Oklahoma roughly $80 million to get out of it. So you just wait a couple of years, you don't have to pay the $80 million and everyone's happy, I think. The other, the other thing, of course, is that, you know, you don't want to be in, in part of like a miserable dying marriage uh, for, for a couple of years. Yeah. And and the, the thing that we really have to understand here, or at least, you know, one key point, at least, is the pandemic's role in all of this. Because the pandemic, you know, took a hammer to athletic department budgets across the country. And so we, you know, when the when the pandemic and its effects on ticket sales and various other revenue streams began to be apparent, we saw the bloodbath that all these conferences and all these schools were taking. You know that that immediately brought the thought to mind: Oh, we're going to see some creative uh, revenue generating uh, movements come sooner rather than later. Like the, so, the pandemic is why we're discussing the possibility of a twelve-team playoff as early as 2023. If the pandemic had not happened, the, the playoff would have been on its normal 12-year glide path through the end of its contract in 2025. But because of the pandemic, that's why we're fast-tracking these things. I'm personally surprised we didn't have a 96-team NCAA tournament plan floated on a temporary basis, not long-term, but temporary for 2022 and 2023 to get more inventory, more revenue, in the door but so the 12 team playoff plan being fast tracked like that doesn't surprise me at all and just to now draw the connection to texas and oklahoma going to the sec if you have a 12 team playoff texas and oklahoma are not sacrificing their playoff positioning by going to the sec because the sec could get four or five at large bids in a four team playoff of course Texas and Oklahoma would need to stay in the Big 12, get that conference championship spot reserved for them. So the fact that we're discussing a 12-team playoff and trying to start it before the end of the playoffs 12-year agreement running from 2014 through 2025, you know that that's why we're seeing all these pieces move. If there wasn't a 12-team playoff, Texas and Oklahoma would have no reason to fast-track a move to the SEC. The two of you cover USC and UCLA respectively. And I believe those are the two sexiest teams in the conference. And without those two schools, schools like mine, Wazoo, UW, Cal, Oregon State would basically be become relegated or not. they're not as valuable without those two schools. So my question is for each of you, what do you think the Pac-12 needs to do to keep these two schools happy and wanting to stay in the Pac-12? So let's start with Brian. What do you think the Pac-12 needs to do to keep UCLA from leaving because they make big money 
Los Angeles, huge alumni base. They're one of the hottest commodities on the market. Yeah, I think it's hard for teams right now in the Pac-12 to want to get up and leave. I can see more that the Pac-12 would add teams as opposed to teams leaving the Pac-12. I think the biggest thing is to appease everybody is when the new media deal comes up with the Pac-12, you got to strike it and, and get this right this time because the Pac-12 conference is looking at all these other conferences and saying, man, they're making so much more money off of these television rights. Where are we in terms of cashing in on that sort of money? So I think that the big thing is when that new deal comes up, they've got to strike that, they've got to nail that, and that will help appease all the members of the conference. All right. So Matt, what do you, what do you think for you at USC, respectively? I do agree with Brian that the getting the TV deal right is a huge piece of it. But uh, the other the other thing is just Pac-12 just has to, you know, be attentive to USC's needs. And that was not the case under Larry Scott. It's a very it's a very big point of irony that only this year, finally, just when Scott was headed out the door, USC finally got the kind of concierge service it expects in football. You know, no Oregon or Washington. No, none of that weeknight Friday night game at Washington State. Uh, you know, coming off a short week playing Texas, you know, USC finally got the kind of treatment in a football schedule that it should have been getting the whole time. You know, imagine Alabama having to play a Friday night game at, at Texas AM, you know, the week after hosting LSU, you know, or Georgia. Like that would never ever happen. But in the Pac 12, you had USC just taken through the ringer and just given these horrible football schedules that set the program up to fail, to stub its toe. And so just being able to avoid amateur hour mistakes like that, that's the kind of thing that makes USC happy. And so USC finally got the kind of football schedule that was tailored to its needs. And so that's what the Pac-12 in general should be doing. You protect your bell cow football programs. I'd include Oregon and Washington, uh, in this discussion as well, you you set up your prime football teams to succeed, and that, that might anger you know the Washington states and the Oregon states of the world. But we know who brings the money and who brings the television eyeballs in the door. You cater to that. So the the SEC caters to Alabama. It should the Big Twelve. Well, it tried to cater to Oklahoma. It didn't really do a great job of that. But you know, Oklahoma doesn't play Friday night games. Ohio State doesn't play Friday night games. You know, the Big Ten takes care of Ohio State. So you do those kinds of things to make sure that your signature programs are, are, are set up. Now, if, just, I just want to touch on one thing in terms of USC. USC, an, an interesting conversation USC fans have been having the past few weeks has been, you know, is the Big Ten the right move for us? Because the academics certainly fit there. Or should USC consider going independent? And I think that one thing Mike Bone, the athletic director, needs to be considering is if we can go independent and we can get our own television football deal the way Notre Dame has with M NBC, you know, that might be the right move to make. And if USC can play a leverage game with the Pac-12 relative to what's going on at the Pac-12 network with DirecTV, all those moving parts, you know, USC is not in a position to do something right now but USC could be in a position to do something in a few years and say, hey, you know, we want to make sure that we get the right treatment over these next few years, George Klyavkov. And if we don't, you know, we have some options to consider. So that's definitely some something worth keeping an eye on. 
So you mentioned being independent and going after a football contract, but I'm wondering, because I think USC is one of those teams who could potentially do that. But what about USC basketball, let's say, is on the rise. You have Evan Mobley is just the third overall pick to the Cavs this year. Basketball is improving in the Pac-12. It's coming back to what I say we all expect the Pac-12 to be in basketball. Do you think it's short-sighted that we're not, that we haven't really been including basketball in this conversation as much as we have. I know football makes all the money, but basketball is still a revenue generating sport for most schools. And especially since the Pac-12 is improving, do you think it's prudent that we include them in the conversation as well, Matt? Well, you know, it's it's about considering options and making sure that your range of options is as expansive as possible. Now, Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame plays ACC basketball. So it has membership in a Cadillac basketball conference but football is set apart because football is the really big deal and it's very similar at USC. So I think USC is just in a position where it can pursue an arrangement as an, one of op, one option out of many to have a football independence, but then retain PAC 12 membership in basketball. And of course, all the other Olympic sports, um, we just concluded the Tokyo Olympics and USC got another large uh, collection of gold medals so you know there, there is the main thing is maximizing options and 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 brian knows this following the pac-12 that one thing the pac-12 didn't do very well over the past decade under larry scott's leadership it got locked into long-term arrangements and those long-term arrangements undercut the league's fle- flexibility its ability to move with the times to to you know be able to shift in, real, in in relationship to various emergent needs, the Pac-12 should be should not be pursuing an extremely long media rights deal in this next round of negotiations. It should be a shorter deal so that you, after a two or three year period, you can re- look at the landscape once again and you have the flexibility to move around. The Pac-12 cannot be caught in a long term relationship. So when we when we consider what USC, UCLA, also Oregon and Washington should do in terms of uh, the current conference realignment intrigue, they don't have to make these long-term attachments and associations because you can imagine, I mean, Brian, Brian even talked about it, that you could see a Super League down the line, that that's where we might be headed. If those chess pieces do change, Pac-12 has to be in a position where it can change to meet those various emergent needs. So one thing I think we need to be clear on is we don't need to have permanent or long-term associations. It's really a mercenary world and you have to get as many dollars and serve as many interests as you can in the present moment. And what what life is going to be like four or five years from now, you can't get too caught up in that. You need to be dealing with today's chessboard, not tomorrow's. Do you think the, back, the Pac-12 is, including all sports, not just football and basketball, the Pac-12 is the best long-term option for UCLA itself. Well, like you guys said, everything changes so swiftly. Everything right. is happening in real time. And so you don't know what a month or a, a year can look like compared to where it is now, considering like we were hit with this bombshell this summer with Oklahoma and Texas. I know that the new conference commissioner is listening to these teams in the Pac-12 and trying to sort out ideas. I I like this new commissioner. I think he is a problem solver, and I think he is up with the times as far as media is concerned and how to make the most, you know, maximize your dollar. But I want to go back to your point about about basketball because 
everything with football in the Big 12, that that was everything when it when these teams in Texas and Oklahoma left. Like you've got Baylor winning a national championship. You've got Kansas. And it, it just shows you that even though those are the kind of programs that are so highly respected in basketball, that this they have like no sway in what's going on right now, which goes back to how football is king. And I also think that football needs to be king in the Pac-12. And I think in the last couple of years, as Matt knows, there have been a little bit of a, a, a slide in the, the talent level as far as being able to get into those college football playoffs and seeing USC at the top where it's known to be for so many years or a Washington or even a UCLA. And, and perhaps all these teams are back on the rise. But when you've had these teams, notable marquee brands in the Pac-12 that have not been able to meet their standards of the past, that also doesn't help the equation as well. And that's something that if they continue to rise, like perhaps this is a year they do that, they're going to make themselves more marketable. And again, everything can change so quickly. So for me to say what happens now is going to be what it's like in a year, we could be seeing, like I, I look at this whole thing as plate tectonics with the, the shifting of conference alignment because like everything seems like it's in sync. And then all of a sudden you've got, a fault line that goes and all of a sudden it, it creates all these shock waves and then everything is affected beyond what's happening at the source. I like the metaphor of play tectonics and then also, uh, also the mercenary league. Like we're all looking for the new best, the best, the shiniest thing. And I think it also has to do with the Pac-12, not the last time they were in the playoffs. I think that was with the university of Washington and they played in 2016 and they played Alabama. The Pac-12 also tends to cannibalize itself with really unfortunate Schedule making, like Matt said earlier, USC finally got preferential treatment. And I, I talked to the media people at my school, other students, like at the new daily, the newspaper. Like, yeah, it's frustrating from a Washington state perspective that those schools like Oregon or UW would get preferential treatment. But when you think about the long-term health of the conference itself, that it, it makes more sense. You want to protect your, the big investments. So that makes sense. So finally, my last question for both of you guys is, who do you think, at, heading into this football season, what are your predictions for the Pac-12? Let's start with Brian. Predictions for the Pac-12. Yes. I think USC is going to be great. I think Keaton Slovis is going to be top two as far as quarterbacks in the conference. I, I like Oregon. How can you go wrong with them? I'm concerned about what they're going to do at quarterback. That'll be interesting. I think Utah is a sleeping giant with all of these guys that they, they pride – you know, from in the, in the transfer market, they've got all these D one guys that are coming in from like Oklahoma and, and, and other schools. So they're going to be really good. Arizona. It's an exciting program. I think that they have a lot of momentum, a lot of juice. There's a good morale about them, but it's going to take some time to, to build what they're trying to do. Arizona state. That's going to be fascinating because they got a great quarterback and they have the talent, but they're known at times not to win the big game. UCLA is one I got my eye on and yeah, perhaps I'm a little bit biased here, but you've got everybody returning. Basically you got Dorian Thompson Robinson and people don't realize that when Dorian came to UCLA, he had one year of experience playing quarterback and, and then he was thrown into the fire as a true freshman. And, you know, this was a guy that wasn't used to playing the quarterback position. He would play receiver and, 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 and such. So with these years accrued for him, with an offensive line that is starting to click, 
with wide receivers galore, it also is setting up to be a great year for UCLA. But I think what's going to be interesting for the whole conference to see, not just UCLA and how they fare, but the upcoming game against LSU and what that's going to look like, not just for UCLA and where they stack up and how much better they've gotten from a barometer measuring stick perspective, but that actually I think is going to have an indication and reflection on the whole conference and in, in saying, how does this Pac-12 as a whole how are they stacking up against these SEC teams? Because ultimately, that's what you want to do, is you want to be on par with that. But we know that USC has played Alabama recently, and that didn't go as well as planned. I think the whole conference is going to be fixated on that LSU matchup because with a, an improved UCLA team, if UCLA, even if they don't win, if they put up a good fight, I think it's going to give a lot of morale to the rest of the conference is to say, hey, we can compete with anybody. Let, let's go for this thing. I agree with you 100% about the LSU and the big games. I think Oregon has another one against an SEC team. Yeah. So I think if we can win those games as a conference, that's better better for us and better for playoff hopes. And then, Matt, what are your predictions for the season as well? Well, as someone who uh, covers USC football, my, my main prediction is that USC is going to disappoint. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I would say – but there's an irony here. The best thing for the Pac-12 long term is for USC to not do well this year because the Pac-12 needs USC to be great. And for USC to be great, that means Clay Helton needs to leave. It means Matt Campbell or someone else of similar quality needs to enter. So USC really needs short-term pain in exchange for long-term gain. I'm quote-unquote optimistic that USC will, in fact, stumble this year and get a better coach. That's what the whole fan base is certainly looking for so so you know there's there is a best case scenario for USC in terms of actually doing well this year and it's simply that you know Keaton Slovis's shoulder he had problems last year he was not physically 100% the ball was fluttering on in, in many different games and of course starting a season in November it was totally out of rhythm and so you know if his shoulder is right if he's 100% healthy it could be that he's going to have an absolutely massive season and that nothing Clay Helton does is going to slow him down and he, he's going to transcend his situation so I mean USC could be great USC could be an 11 win team if Slovis absolutely maxes out but I'm not expecting that to happen the offensive line is USC's big point of weakness um, we're, we're very much aware out here in the Pac-12 you know that Utah has never ever won in Los Angeles in the Coliseum against USC. Uh, if, if the Utah defensive front can manhandle USC's offensive line, that result might finally change. So I'm going to take U Utah over USC in the Coliseum. I think that Utah is going to win the South. Charlie Brewer, uh, who got, came to Salt Lake City for, in the transfer portal, remember, he led Baylor within one win of the college football playoff in 2019. Baylor played Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, Baylor took Oklahoma into overtime. Charlie Brewer was the guy who nearly took Baylor to the college football playoff. He went 15 of 15 in Utah's spring game. So I think he's going to give Kyle Whittingham the stability he hasn't always had at the quarterback position. In the North, I think it's a much simpler conversation. No Zion Tupuola Fetui for at least you know eight, nine games. He might come in back to the lineup in the game 10 or 11 of the season that's too late it's he's gonna miss the washington oregon game and so th that really is a decisive factor to me 
in enabling Oregon to beat Washington, even though, as Brian said, the Ducks have questions at quarterback, but but Washington needed Zion Tupola Fatui on its defense the whole season, not just the last few games, to be able to stand up to the Ducks. So Oregon versus Utah, uh, I think it's going to be a similar outcome to the 2019 Pac-12 championship game when those two teams met. I think Kyle Whittingham in, in, in big games against elite Pac-12 opposition, that is the the threshold he has to get past. So I do think that Oregon beats Utah for the Pac-12 title. Um, with Arizona State, the other particularly intriguing team in the conference, you know, this this recruiting scandal, you know, you've already seen three assistant coaches either um, you know, suspended or removed from the staff. I mean, how many more uh, position coaches are they going to lose he heading into week one? You need to have uh, hands-on coaching. It can't just be Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce coaching everybody. That is a that is a situation set up to fail. And of course, the team is going to be very distracted by all of this as revelations continue to drip out. So not just Arizona State's history of falling short, but this particular recruiting scandal, that's just too big of a black cloud for the Sun Devils this year. Well, thank you very much. I think that's some great insight. I hadn't thought of the Utah stuff. I think Utah is a great, is a, is a sleeper team. So I would love to let you guys plug anything you feel, Twitter, podcast, anything you're working on. So let's start with Matt. Where can people find you? Yeah, so trojanswire.usatoday.com, just daily coverage of uh, USC sports, trying to keep things fresh. You know, uh, USC fans, you know, they're interested to a degree in fall training camp, but you know what? They just they just want Clay Helton to leave. That's really what they want more than anything else. So that's kind of puts a damper on the enthusiasm for the football season. They want Clay Helton to leave, and then they think that the program can really rock and roll under under a bigger coach. But we're gonna we're gonna cover USC football, and of course, USC basketball is now a bigger deal. So when we get into November, you know, that's gonna be a point of excitement for the program as well. Fantastic. Brian? Yeah, and, and like USC basketball on the rise, UCLA basketball is certainly on the rise coming off that Final Four. So, like, yeah, we, we do the weekly coaches show on the radio in L.A. in basketball and football seasons. So we'll have that coming up on, I believe, Tuesdays. But we'll, we'll be able to plug all that on my Twitter, which is at Brian Fenley, Brian with a Y. So you can follow all of the latest with our coverage on the UCLA side, as far as I love to talk about other teams. I, I, I like to focus on every team as a whole and just continue to dialogue and, and, and chat about them and, and pinpoint players who stand out and who have great stories. So love the storytelling element of some of these high achieving athletes in the PAC 12 in football. And so that's where I will do little monologues on them as well to, to give them some more credit. Thank you both for coming on. This was fantastic. I, I truly appreciated this. So. Listen, I love Walker, but he looked like he was 18 or 19. He looked like a young guy. Ben, you should have done this guy right. What, I get him a stripper? What do you want no, me to do here? I, mean, I, mean, I get him a prostitute? What do you